Support for this podcast comes from Davis Malm. If you're a buyer, seller, investor, or lender, Davis Malm attorneys know each deal has unique needs and requirements. Building client relationships one transaction at a time. More at davismalm.com. D-A-V-I-S-M-A-L-M dot com. WBUR Podcasts. Boston. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and you're listening to The Comet. We are at the very beginning of a presidential election year, and one of its first major moments starts right here in New England. On January 23rd, New Hampshire voters will cast their ballots in the first presidential primary of the 2024 election. On the Democratic side, Joe Biden is expected to win a write-in ballot campaign. Not a lot is happening there. But on the Republican side, candidates hope to sway voters away from frontrunner Donald Trump. The Massachusetts primaries are not until March. However, historically, our neighbors up north have had an outsized impact on who will become the party's nominees for president. Now, before we go any further, this is the start of the Commons coverage of the 2024 presidential election. All this year, we'll be looking at it from all angles and featuring all kinds of perspectives from across the voter spectrum. Democrat, Republican, third party, no party, whatever. We want to know how folks are thinking about their vote. But for now, as the New Hampshire primary is so present and wields such political power, we are starting our coverage through a collaboration with the Boston Globe. You can expect three bonus episodes in the common feed that look at how some New Hampshire voters are thinking about their decision in the Republican primary. Boston Globe political reporter Emma Platoff will be joining us for the ride. Emma, welcome back to The Common. Hey, Daryl. Thanks for having me. So, Emma, I want to get down to the why for this project. We are here in the Boston area, and we're in a different situation from primary voters in New Hampshire. We don't get to vote in a primary until March. And we're also in an area that leans overwhelmingly left when it comes to politics. That's different from the undecided voters we're discussing today who are a state away and planning to vote in the Republican primary. So having said all that, what can listeners in our area take away from these voters regardless of their political viewpoints? I think it's really easy to dismiss these early state presidential primary contests as kind of political catnip for insiders. You know, why should people who don't even get to vote in this election care what people think? But the reality is, you know, like it or not, for better or for worse, early states like Iowa and New Hampshire play an enormous role in deciding who the nominees will be for president. And that is a decision that will affect all of us. This year, especially, there's really robust and important debate happening about whether states like New Hampshire and Iowa should go first. You know, we know that New Hampshire is wealthier, it is whiter, it is older than the country as a whole. And there are really good arguments happening about whether that whole system should be changed. Um, But for now, this is the system we have. And, you know, these are the people who have the first bite at deciding who will be the leader of the free world. It's really rare to become president without winning in either Iowa or New Hampshire. And this year, the big mm-hmm. question is whether anyone can knock Donald Trump off his glide path to the nomination. So, Emma, remind us who's in the race right now and where they stand. 
So right now, the the broad expectation is that the nominees will be Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And in New Hampshire, which is a purple state, a new Globe poll actually shows that Biden is leading Trump. On the Republican side, for the primary that's coming up in just a few weeks, Trump is right now the frontrunner in New Hampshire. And in second place is former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, who trails him by double digits but has been really picking up steam there in recent weeks. And then there's sort of a third tier of Republican candidates in New Hampshire that includes Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and businessman Vivek Ramaswamy. Understood. Understood. So you've been in New Hampshire talking to voters, specifically independents and Republicans, uh, who will be voting in the Republican primary. And you specifically focused on undecided voters. Why is that? There's so much focus during election seasons on polls. Um, But from talking to voters, you learn that the way that people actually make these decisions is so much more interesting and quirky and irrational than you might imagine from the polls. And so we wanted to document how real people make their decisions, the extremely personal factors that are at play, um, and use them to tell the story of the primary instead of just these numbers that can feel really impersonal. So you brought us a conversation with one of those undecided voters. Tell us about this person. So today we're going to meet Jeff Connor. He's 50 years old. He lives in Henniker, New Hampshire, the small town uh, west of Concord where he grew up. He drives his own truck as an owner-operator. And so as you can imagine, the economy is really important to him. Any fluctuation in gas prices has a huge impact on his bottom line. And Jeff's also just a really cheerful guy. He just said, you're going to be one of the happiest truck drivers I've ever met. Life's too short to be in a bad mood. Jeff is a volunteer firefighter and a local water commissioner, and he thinks that local government is really important. It's about neighbors helping neighbors. But he's really disillusioned with national politics, and he really doesn't want to vote for Donald Trump again. So last month, I joined Jeff at 5 a.m. on I-93, and as we hauled tens of thousands of pounds of granite into Massachusetts, I asked him who he was leaning towards in the Republican primary. Nobody stands out at this point. It's kind of like dating. You know, you don't really get to know who the person is you're dating until you date them for a while. But that's where we're at, I think, with this current race. We don't really know what these people are going to be like. What What are their true colors? Who at this point is, is getting a second date, if you even have that list? <laughs> I honestly, at this point, I don't know. I don't see Donnie as getting a second date. Let's say that. It's not necessarily anything against him, per se. It's against what would happen if he gets in there. We've just spent too much time, money, energy, and resources fighting him. It's just done nothing but hurt the country. I can't imagine going through that circus again. Did you vote for him in 2016 and 2020? I did. And it sounds like this year he's not the one you want to take to the prom. No. No, I don't care what color dress he wears. Not happening. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious if you have even just any, like, first impressions of some of the field. They all have good policies. DeSantis, I think, can be a wild card. I love what he did with the refugees. You've got all these Democratic states that are all like, oh, no, don't come to the states. And what's he do? He puts them all on a plane and sends them up to Cape Cod going, all right, Massachusetts, you voted for this. Here you go. However, is that 
the kind of action and reaction we want out of our commander-in-chief? I don't know. Chris Christie, he can go either way for me. As governor of New Jersey, he did a lot of good things. However, he'd steer the ship far left at different times and go, what's this all about? Nikki Haley seems to be coming from a good direction. I like a lot of her thoughts, but also where's the money coming from? What's her background and who's behind her pushing her through financially? I also wanted to talk to Jeff about his family. His younger child, Eli, is gender neutral, and we're at a moment in Republican politics when prominent presidential candidates are attacking anyone who doesn't fit neatly into the gender binary. I'm curious, has it been hard to get used to, you know, calling your child by a new name, potentially using different pronouns? The biggest thing is trying to refer to the person without classifying them in a gender. You know, as far as I've kind of adapted the, well, I've got two kids, youngest and oldest, you know, and I try and eliminate, you know, the boy and the girl part. Do you ever feel like there are people in the Republican Party who are attacking people like your younger child? And yeah, what is it like to grapple with that? Yeah, because I just look at it going, what does that person know? For the most part, most of that is just acceptance. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. Just accept it and respect it. And, and I think that's the biggest problem that a lot of people have is they want to fix it. Well, there's nothing to fix. Just let people be who they are. What if there's a candidate who you really support on issues, you know, A through Z, the economy, international relations, those kinds of things, but they can't embrace that spirit of acceptance that you've talked about? Would it be hard to cast your vote for someone like that? It depends on how much they want to bring that to an attention. If, if they, say, hit nine out of the ten requirements and the one thing that they're not up on is that LG I, I get lost in the letters but yeah LGBTQ R- right that if they're not on that and they're say you're going to slip the clutch a little bit on that one and, and just kind of let it be then alright you kind of got to take the good with the bad you know you are talking about feeling sort of like disappointed, feeling like politicians are dishonest. Does that to you seem to come more from Democrats than Republicans, or is that kind of everyone across the board? Across the board. I think they're all liars. (laughs) I don't know of really any other occupation other than used car salesmen where you'd question whether or not they're telling the truth. It sounds like you don't currently see anyone that uh, you would... Single and looking to mingle. (laughs) Okay, so Emma, Jeff said a lot there. As someone who covers politics, how did his answers strike you? As you heard, there's a lot of different issues that drive Jeff's vote. You heard him mention immigration and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's controversial move in 2022 to fly migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. 
Some people might be surprised to hear that immigration is such an important issue to Republicans in New Hampshire, given how far they are from the southern border. Um, But we know from polls that that's one of the most important issues driving Republicans in New Hampshire and nationally. You also hear Jeff grappling with candidates' temperament. You know, he liked what Ron DeSantis did there, but he said maybe that isn't the right temperament for someone in the White House. And I think what really struck me about Jeff is that he is someone who looks at politics in terms of compromises. He is not starry-eyed about this. You know, he knows that many of the candidates he supports on economic issues, on international issues, may not be the ones he aligns with on social issues. They may be people who don't have kind words for people like his younger child. We get to hear him sort of deciding how to make that decision. Donald Trump right now uh, is ahead of all the other Republican candidates. Is there a chance that he could be unseated by some of these undecided voters? Right now, Trump definitely looks like the frontrunner, but New Hampshire is his weakest early state. Polls show he has less than 50 percent support there. So it's possible, and New Hampshire has surprised us before. And that's one of the reasons, you know, I wanted to talk to voters like Jeff to sort of see whether it's possible for them to come together in a big group and opt for someone else. What are you watching for in these weeks leading up to the primary? I think the big thing that we're watching for at this point is the same thing the candidates are hoping for, which is momentum. You know, if someone wants to knock Trump off or or even come in a decisive second place that could give them fuel for the upcoming states, they're going to need to continue to collect support in New Hampshire. And um, it'll, of course, matter what Iowa does in the caucuses in the week prior. Understood. Understood. Well, Emma, thank you so much for coming through to The Common. We will check back in with you next week to hear from a few other voters who you talk to. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. That's Boston Globe politics reporter Emma Platoff. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of The Common, which was produced in collaboration with the Boston Globe. And special thanks to Boston Globe audio producer Jesse Remedios, who contributed to this project. We'll be back with our regular episode tomorrow morning. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and I'll talk to you later.